Well, I want to invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. We've been going through the book of Acts for several years now. We've been taking it in a few chapters at a time. And so in this section, we're calling this series, Do Not Be Silent, and picking up in, in Acts chapter 17 today. One of the things that, uh, you know, an idea behind Do Not Be Silent that we've been talking about is this idea that we measure our, our victories and our, and our failures by our obedience, not by our, our day-to-day experience of success or failure. So when we end the day uh, and lay our head down on the pillow and think, oh, was that a good day or not? It's not whether we received praise and accolades from people. It's not whether we left the day more prosperous than we entered into the day. It's, it's not really any of those things. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, was I obedient to what God called me to do today? Uh, if he's placed a special calling on your life, if there's something that you know he's called you to do, did you, did you fulfill that? If, if you don't have a very specific special calling, are you, are you fulfilling the calling uh, to obedience that he places on us in Scripture, that he lays out the kind of people that he wants us to become and how he wants us to, to depend on Jesus, his son, to grow? And, and did we do that? That's, that's the ultimate question at the end of the day. Did, did we do that? And so we're coming to a really interesting point in this account of Paul's travels because uh, for the past several weeks, we've been looking at Paul's missionary uh, journey that took him into Philippi, and we were looking at the things that led him there and then what he experienced there. And ultimately, he experienced some good things there, but it ended up with him getting beaten severely and thrown into prison. And then God broke him out of, out of jail, and, uh, and he was able to witness to the Philippian jailer. The jailer became uh, a follower of Jesus along with his family, but at the end, uh, in the morning, when the magistrates came from the city, they apologized because they didn't realize he was a Roman citizen and they had beaten him and they knew that they were kind of in trouble for that. But they still said, hey, will you, will you please just leave the city, <laughs> right? And so as they're, they're leaving the city, uh, they're going forward, and you have to wonder, you know, what was on their mind? Uh, they had to think like, okay, when we get to this next city, are we going to do the same thing? Uh, because if I know it's, it's going to lead to the same result, do I really want to do that? Again, right, it's like picking a fight with the bully at school and then you just get totally beat up and you go back the next day and you're like, man, do I want to pick a fight with him again because I know where this is going to go. And so let's see how they, let's see how they approached it as they, as they moved forward. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 1. We're really going gonna to read the whole passage and then we're going to go back and, and unpack some of it. So beginning in verse 1, it says this, Now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, this, each one of those cities would have been about a day's journey walking, and they were, they were pretty uh, rugged back then. So a day's walking for me would be from like here to Nebraska. But for, for the, the other people, you know, back in this day, they, they could knock out uh, close to 30 miles in a day. So, so they walked two journeys. They, they journeyed a day to Amphipolis, but they kept going, and then they went to Apollonia, and they kept going, and they got to Thessalonica, and it says there was a synagogue of the Jews there. And that might have been why they were aiming to go there, because they wanted to go to a city that had a synagogue in it. Uh, so Paul went in, and as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Jason was the one who was hosting them while they were in this city. So they attacked his house, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. 
And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So they get to Thessalonica. They didn't get beat this time, mostly probably because they weren't in the house when they went to collect them. Either they knew that something was coming but, or, or, or by God's provision, they just weren't there when the angry mob came looking for them. But, uh, but once again, we've got an angry mob that is seeking to throw them out of the city. But we also have those who are coming to faith and coming to believe. And so they, they leave uh, Thessalonica. And let's see what happens. Let's pick up in verse 10. We're going to continue through and then we'll go back and and, and grab some of the stuff, but it says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. Many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So we see in the second half of, of what we're looking at today that uh, they... They were met at Thessalonica by an angry mob. And so what did they do? They went to Berea, and they did the same thing. Right? There was this consistent obedience that's unfolding in them, and they consistently had the same approach where they came into the city. They would look for the synagogue first. They would go to, to the Jews, the God-fearers, those that were, they were seeking to know God. And they would say, hey, you know God in part. You're, you're seeking to know him, but let us explain to you the fullness of what Jesus has done in fulfilling what you already know. And so I want to look at and a couple things, and part of the thing with do not be silent, and um, uh, this is important, like the message is important, right? Do not be silent as we're talking about this in the series does not mean just don't stop talking. Uh, my kids are capable of this at sometimes for long stretches of time where they never stop talking, right? And it's, it's kind of incredible, but most of the time I zone out about two minutes in, and so like I have no clue what's going on. So the message that we're conveying is super important. And so what are, what are the things that we can see about the message that they are bringing to these people that is transforming and turning the world upside down? And I want to highlight three uh, this morning. The first one is this, uh, it, it's really apparent that the gospel crosses all types of borders and barriers and divides among people. It's amazing that when they go into town, they're not just going to the synagogue and not just speaking to the Jews and not just reaching them, but as they bring the gospel into a town, they're reaching uh, the Jewish believer or the Jews who are becoming believers. And, but they're also reaching God-fearing Greeks who are becoming believers. And they're reaching uh, prominent people in the city, wealthy men and women who are hearing the news of the gospel and they're responding to it. It's a pretty amazing thing, and the reason is, is that because the gospel is truth, so it resonates with people across cultures, across times, across the centuries. For 2,000 years, the gospel has been brought into all these different places and reached all these different people, and the reason that it does is because it's true. It resonates with people. People all over the world look at the world and they say, man, I see this amazing world. There must have been someone who created this. But I also, I, I look at myself and I recognize as hard as I try, I mess up a lot. I'm, I'm broken. The Bible calls it sin. We might have other names. We might rationalize it in different ways. But I recognize that, that I'm not always as good a person as I would want to be. 
And so that leaves me a little bit worried that the God who created all this, if he's really good, I'm not sure that I'm in good standing with him. I don't know how to do that. And so when, the, when Paul and Silas brought the gospel, they said, yes, that's, that's true. And what we want you to know is that Jesus is the answer. He is the one who makes it possible for you to be right with the creator God because he paid the price for your sins. And so therefore you can receive his reward. And, and we see this happening all over America. We tend to think, if we're, if we're not careful, sometimes we tend to think of Christianity as this Western religion, right, that, um, that, that we tend to take ownership of it, this, this sort of American brand of Christianity. But the reality is, is uh, when, Paul and Silas weren't speaking English, right? And, they, and, and America had not even been discovered by, by uh, European Westerners at that time, right? That, that, that America wasn't even, wasn't even part of the picture at the time. And so right now in the world, all over the world, in, in Asia, the gospel is expanding rapidly. In China, it is expanding in Africa. It's expanding in South America. And, and so uh, as, as this continues to unfurl all over the world, we can be encouraged that the gospel is for everyone. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Do, do we think of the gospel as being available for everyone? Or do we think of the gospel as, as ours? And so they, whoever they are, the people that don't believe it, are our enemies. It's just a fundamentally flawed way of thinking about the world, that, that the gospel is available to everyone. And so whether it's you think about people over in this country or over in this place, that they're my enemy because they don't believe what I believe. No, uh, there, there are friends who have not yet heard the gospel. <laughs> they may need to respond to it, right? When you go to, to school, um, my, my girls are in the North Penn School District. It's an incredibly diverse school district. And so when we go in, we don't look and say, okay, those people, I think these are the ones that believe what we believe. So that's our crew. And those guys, they believe something else. So that now we don't want anything to do, right? We don't approach it that way that the gospel breaks boundaries down. There's people that have responded to the truth. There's people that have rejected the truth. And there are people that have yet to hear the truth. And we need to think of, of our fellow citizens in the world in, in that way. And like Keith was talking about this morning, when we think about it in that light, it leads to a lot more grace, a lot more love, a lot more compassion, a lot more empathy. So the first thing we see about the gospel, the gospel crosses borders and barriers. And it's expanding at this time. Second thing that I want you to see here is that, um, that the gospel doesn't just proclaim a philosophy. The gospel proclaims a person who is Jesus. And not only a, a person, but a king. The, the gospel proclaims that there is a king who we are to follow. And so when they made this accusation against him, when they came and they said that they are saying that there is another king named Jesus, they were more right than they knew that they had identified that, 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 that they had come across the one true king. And so to be a Christian is to proclaim ultimate loyalty to a sovereign king. Is that how you think about it when you think about Jesus? Is that, is that the imagery that comes to your mind? Do you think about him as your, as your sovereign king, the one who you are ultimately loyal to in all instances, the one that you are ultimately obedient to? I mean, I think at some level we know this, but, but sometimes that level doesn't make it to the surface. Um, I was watching yesterday, there was a program, uh, I, was, I was bored in the afternoon, you know, we're heading into the, the dead zone of television, right? The NFL is over, college football is over, it was like golf or NBA basketball, 
Um, or uh, there was a, a show on TBN where they were going around and they were had these Christian interviewers that were interviewing guys that were going to play in the Super Bowl and they were interviewing all these athletes. And so they would go up to them. And this is on media day. And so I don't know if you guys have seen any of the footage of this, but it's crazy. You know, thousands and thousands of people and they're coming up and they're sticking a mic in their face and they're expecting to hear like, hey, how do you expect to, to break down the Patriots defense? Or how do you, you know, what do you, what kind of tell, uh, what kind of touchdown celebration dance are you going to do when you score or whatever? And they go up to these guys and they say, Hey, uh, can you tell me about uh, your faith and your relationship with Jesus? And, and I think, you know, all the ones they showed had pretty good responses. So I, mean, I think they, maybe they read their bios and saw the guys that were professing a faith or they looked for the guys that were wearing the cross necklaces or whatever. But, um, but there was a recurring pattern, and they did this with a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys I'd never heard of, like the long snapper from the Falcon, you know, people that we don't know their names, right? But they go up to him, and, and what I saw unfold was a pattern, and I think it's probably similar to what we would see in us, that, that they would go up to him and say, tell me about Jesus, you know, tell me about your relationship. He'd be like, man, you know, playing in the NFL, it's hard, it's, it's a grind, and so I, I just rely on him, he's my strength every day, and I've achieved this level of success, and, and I couldn't have done it without him, like, I, I recognize that it wouldn't be possible for me to be here if Jesus wasn't here uh, leading and guiding me, and, and, and you, know, I, you know, I have a faith because my grandmother, she was a praying woman, and I know I'm not perfect, but I know she prays for me all the time, so that was kind of the, the continual theme, and those are all, listen, those are all good things, and we, and we need to lean into Jesus daily, and we need to recognize that we wouldn't be where we are without him, and that's that's all true. But um, and and I and I don't know any of their theology. So these guys might have been like spot on. They might have been incredible followers of Jesus. But but what kind of the the theme that came out after a while was if I didn't know anything about Jesus and I just listened to those, I would have said, okay, so Jesus is a guy who's who's kind of like a support structure. He's like he's there to help us out. He's there if I want to get from somewhere to somewhere else. He's going to be the guy that's going to help me get there. If I'm feeling a little bit weak, he's going to make me feel a little bit stronger. He sounds like he's a he's a great way to give me the life that I really want. And I think that that part of that is an echo of the way that uh, Christian culture exists. And and, and we know that those things are true. Jesus has blessed me, right? Like, I wouldn't be where I am without him, that, um, that, that, that I would have nothing that I have without him. So I, I resonate. It's all true. But I didn't hear from them, man, Jesus is my king. I do whatever he tells me to do. That, that, that my loyalty and my ultimate objective in life is to do what pleases him. Now, that might have been what was in their heart, but that wasn't what was coming out of their mouths. And I wonder if, if somebody asked you, how would you respond? What would you say if they asked you, hey, tell me about Jesus. What's it mean? What's it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? What's that look like? And I think when we, we lose sight of, of Jesus as our king, it's to our detriment. Uh, we, we tend to think that Jesus is optional, that Jesus is a good buddy, that Jesus is a friend, right? And, you know, and, and, and Jesus is our friend, <laughs> But he's, he's so much more than that. It's like being friends with the king of the world, right? So, so his power, his majesty, his greatness uh, is so much more uh, than sometimes we fathom. And here's one of the fascinating things that we see in here, uh, that when Paul goes into these cities, it says that he went in the synagogues and he opened up the scriptures and he showed them how the Christ had to suffer and die and how Jesus was the Christ. Now, if it was you or I, I think we would walk in and we'd be like, hey, you will not believe what just happened to me over in Philippi. I was in jail. God sent an earthquake, and he shook my chains off, and I was freed. Isn't that amazing? Right? Our tendency is, and there's nothing wrong with testimony. Testimony is powerful, and it's good. Um, but what Paul continually goes back to is showing that Jesus is true through Scripture. Uh, 
And so I think for us as Christians that there's something to learn in that. We want to share our story. We want to share what Jesus has done for us. We want to share how he's helped us and blessed us in our life. But we always want to take people to Scripture. Because ultimately, if I tell a really great story about Jesus and how he helped me, and people might be like, wow, that sounds really amazing. And then they might go down the street and they might tell this guy, man, you will not believe how Buddha helped me and how Buddha elevated me, right? And so, and so really, it's just one person's story against another person's story at that point. You know, hey, I started eating raw foods and that really helped me, right? Or I started uh, renting a library book every week. You know what I mean? There's a million different philosophies and, and ways of life that could be beneficial to us. But following Jesus is not just a philosophy. Following Jesus is entering into the kingdom of a king and saying, I now serve a king. And, and whatever he commands and decrees is what I will do. It's what I will follow. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. We don't get to, to choose one that we like, right? <laughs> I will take uh, Savior Jesus, please, right? <laughs> I'm going to pass on Lord Jesus. Or... Conversely, I, yeah, I, I serve Lord Jesus. I'll save myself. I'm good and righteous, but I will serve Lord Jesus, right? Now, neither of those are good. We want to we experience Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Now, the crowd was right about him, but what they didn't recognize is that by being citizens of the kingdom of Jesus, they were actually going to be much better citizens of their, of their cities and their towns. So I would ask you in response to this today, number one, uh, is Jesus your king? Is your ultimate loyalty to King Jesus over everyone else, over every government authority, over every, every person, over everything? Is Jesus the one who holds your ultimate loyalty? And I'd also ask you, does your citizenship in the kingdom of Jesus make you a better American, <laughs> a, better, a better resident of, of Hapro or Horsham or Warrington or uh, a better teacher or a better bus driver or a better, better way. Does, does following Jesus actually make you a better citizen of this world? Because it should. If we're following his example, people should be so great. They should be saying, man, I wish I had more Christians in my workplace. I wish we had more Christians in this community because they're loving and they're compassionate and, they're, and they're, um, they have convictions and, uh, and they do what's right. And they're, and they're not just out for their own selfish gain. That's who we should be. And if we're, and if we're truly living under King Jesus, that's, that's who we are. Is your identity as a servant of the king your primary identity over your family, your career, your political stance, your public persona, your reputation in the community? Does, does your allegiance to Jesus trump all of those things? The third thing, so, so, so we see that the gospel uh, breaks down all kinds of barriers. The gospel proclaims a person, the king, Jesus. And the third thing that I want to look at today is, is that the gospel uh, has scripture as its foundation, and it welcomes examination. When, when Paul went into these cities, he didn't say like, hey, why don't you roll up that scroll and let me just tell you about Jesus over here, right? Like, just forget about that. I don't, I don't want you to leave that right there. It's not smoke and mirrors that, that, that the Berean church is praised. And in fact, there's, you know, there's Berean bookstores and there's all kinds of Berean churches today because we recognize this is a praiseworthy thing, that the Bible praises this group of people because when he told them, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of what you have in your scriptures, they dug in daily. It says they were daily examining the scriptures, looking to see if what he said was true. And what was the result of that? It says that um, they looked daily to see if these things were true. 
And many of them therefore believed, verse 12, because they examined the scriptures, because they dug in, because they said, hey, are these claims real? As they dug in, it was cemented into their hearts and they said, yeah, this is real. Now, isn't this encouraging in, a, in an age of, of fake news and, and, and things on Facebook where anything you ever see on Facebook, you have to be like, wait a minute, is that real? <laughs> like, I got I to gotta go to Snopes. I got to check it out. Like, I don't know that I can trust that this is a, this is a real news story or this is a real factor. Did this really happen or, or is it superimposed? I don't know if you guys saw the Winona Ryder reaction uh, thing with the SAG Awards this week where she was like making all these crazy faces and then they started superimposing her into all these other videos and, and technology is so good nowadays that you're like, wait, she was at the Trump inauguration and she was at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, like she's like, you know, everywhere, right? We can't trust sometimes uh, the information that's coming at us and so we have to examine it. And a lot of times those things, when you examine it, you find out that they're not true. But when you examine Jesus, when you take him to the scriptures and you look at it, you say, wow, this is even more amazing than I realized. That the gospel exam, it invites examination. And, um, you know, I've shared this before that uh, uh, my wife Trina, she went to a a Christian school and and sadly, a lot of her classmates have, have walked away from the faith. And their continual criticism on Facebook is like, oh, you're just believing what your parents told you. You just believe what your parents you know, you're not thinking for yourself. That's, that's why you still are a Christian. If you really thought, you wouldn't be a Christian anymore. And the sad thing is that, that there's an element um, that, that, that they're onto something there in that uh, one of the big challenges that we have today is that there are a lot of people that are just kind of riding on the, the wave of a cultural Christianity where they don't know the Bible. They haven't examined the claims of Jesus for themselves. And so they don't have this, this deep, knowledge and security in their relationship with Jesus. It's kind of more of like a faith of like, man, I don't know, this is just what I've always believed, and, and I, I'm kind of hoping it's true, and I hope nobody asks me any hard questions because I don't really know the answers to any of those, and I just, you know, I'm just kind of crossing my fingers, right? That's not what the Bible's encouraging us to in this passage. The Bible is saying, examine, know, grow in your knowledge so that, so that you have a reason. Be prepared in and out of season to give a reason for the hope that, that resides in you, right? That that we're called to know what we believe. And that's why we encourage you so much here at Riverside. We want you to get involved in small groups and discipleship groups. And, and Sunday morning is great to, to examine the scriptures, but we want it to go far beyond that. There's great preachers online. Like, go listen to sermons. Sometimes people will say, man, I, I try and read the Bible, but I just, I don't know, it's just hard and I don't get things out of it. And uh, you should keep reading the Bible. Don't stop reading the Bible. But, uh, but there's great, you know, read C.S. Lewis and let him help you to understand it. Read Tim Keller, uh, read A.W. Tozer. I've got a list of, you know, I've got a, a wall full of books here. I'd be happy to give you a book uh, to help you to understand the Bible more. And this, this incredible thing happens where as you get to understand more, then you go back and reread things you read in the Bible and you're like, oh, wow, that makes total sense now. Now I get it. So what was the message that he was proclaiming? He was saying specifically in these cases that the Christ must suffer and raised from the dead. At the same time, he was simultaneously saying, and this is what Jesus did. Here's what scripture said must happen, and here's what Jesus did. And I want to just, uh, just for a few moments here, I want to invite you to do a little biblical examination with me. And so um, first, I want to I invite you to turn to Psalm 22 in your Bible. It's not going to be up on the screen, but there are Bibles on the edges here if you want a Bible. You guys are familiar with Psalm 23. It's like uh, the most famous psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But the, the psalm right before that, Psalm 22, is an incredible prophetic psalm that talks about Jesus. And it begins, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> you heard that, right? 
So Jesus says this on the cross, partly as fulfillment of prophecy, partly, I think, because he wanted those that were standing around there to see what was happening to him and be like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what Psalm 22 said a thousand years ago when it was written, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry to you by day, but, but you do not answer, and by night I do not find rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, can you imagine Paul pulling this out and saying, hey, look at this psalm. And now let me explain to you exactly what happened to Jesus on the day he was crucified. And he wanted them to see Jesus is the one that the prophets foretold. And it was necessary, as this psalm shows, it was necessary that the Messiah would suffer. Some rejected Jesus because they're like, well, if he, was, if he was truly the Messiah, he wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have suffered. He wouldn't have been hung on a, on a cross like a common criminal. But Paul showed them. And there's so many other places, Isaiah 53, and, and we could go on and on and take you to places in the Bible where, if you have it, write a note of that. Take a look at that this week. Read through Isaiah 53 and see how it points so clearly to who Jesus is. And so I ask you this morning, have you examined the Scriptures? Have you examined them? Have you dug into them? The, it said that when he went to Thessalonica for three Sabbath days, he went in and he spoke to them in the synagogue. He showed up and he said, hey, I'll be back next week. And he showed up and he said, hey, I'll be back next week. But in Berea, they were examining the Scriptures daily. And God worked in a powerful way there. Are you examining the Scriptures? Are you here and have you rejected the gospel without examining the Bible? Have you rejected it based on what you've seen lived out in front of you by, by people who are imperfect examples? And if you, have you failed yourself to go to the source document and look at the Bible and examine its claims for yourself? There's a book called The Case for Christ that was written by a, a, a skeptical journalist who wanted to examine the claims that Christ made. And in examining them, he ended up becoming a follower of Jesus and wrote a book about it. That could be your story. On the other end, are you, have you been swept along with Christian culture and tradition without ever really knowing Jesus? I want to encourage you, today is the day to draw near and to know Jesus as your king. In conclusion, I just want to, uh, I just want to show you that what we're looking at here, that, that this is just a picture of who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did, right? 
Jesus broke all kinds of barriers and, and walls. That Just like the gospel, Jesus himself, he went to a Samaritan woman at a well, and he went to lepers, and he went to rich young rulers, and he went to uh, Pharisees, and he went to Sadducees, and he went to tax collectors, that Jesus broke all kinds of barriers, that he, that he was loved and embraced by people of all different places and cultures. And we should, we should pursue that in that same way, just, just as we see it in the gospel, that Jesus proclaimed that he was a king. In fact, that was the plaque that they hung on his, cru on, on his cross, right? The reason why he was being crucified was because he claimed to be what? The king of the Jews. That Jesus could say a lot of things, he could claim a lot of things, even being the son of God didn't really bother the Romans too much, but as soon as he claimed to be king, earthly kingdoms were threatened and people rejected him. If you proclaim Jesus as your king, people are going to react in a negative way because they don't want to come under the kingship of Jesus. But some will see the example that you live and they will respond. Finally, I want you to see that in Jesus, all, just like the gospel, all of Jesus' ministry was based in Scripture. His foundation was Scripture. When the devil tempted him in the wilderness, he used Scripture to combat him. Right? Jesus said, I didn't come to, to do away with law. I came to fulfill the law. That as we saw on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22, that, that Jesus' life was filled with Scripture. And we should seek to live in the same way. Will you guys pray with me?